Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, June 9th, we are studying Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 33. St. Paul's missionary work in the East has so far prevented him from coming to Rome, but he longs for that to change. He lets the Christians in Rome know that he intends to visit them soon, and he asks them to serve as his base of operations for mission work all the way to Spain. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Brady Finnern. Pastor Finnern serves at Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Pastor Finnern, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Uh, thank you, Pastor. Good to, good to be here. So, Pastor Finner, we're here near the end of the letter to the Romans, the end of chapter 15 today. We're venturing into territory in the book of Romans that begins to get a bit less familiar, even to the closest readers of Scripture. We're in one of those sections where Paul starts to give us a bit more historical information, not quite as much doctrine, though there's plenty here, as we will see. Sometimes we're tempted to skip over sections like this or breeze through them without trying to dig into the details as we get to do today. What's the value in looking at sections like this? And then feel free to use that as a jumping point to give us the contextual information that we need to look at the text for today. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, compared to something like this, I was just reading a, a biography of one of our uh, Senate President John Bankin, and he was president from, uh, I believe, 1935 until 1962. And I was reading his, uh, called This I Recall, and one of the things that I found interesting reading that, because I've always read about him and read some of his uh, writings and so forth, was a spoke about how when he was a child, he grew up in Houston, and speaking about the hot um, summers in Houston and how that affected him and how he did this or that and and the work that he did and losing a father when he was little and all those things and then and then a lot of that opened up the door to understanding a little bit more about his approach in ministry his approach of why he did what he did why did he go there why you know those kind of things and so really this this part of what Paul um, is writing gives us some history and some context of his, uh, I would say, his pastoral heart it gives you a context of where he was going, why he was going there, why this is an important, and um, really where he's been. So it's, it's just a wonderful reality of, of, like you said, you look at Romans 15, and if you were to uh, say, you know what, I was reading Romans 15 today, and it's really good, and people are like, wait, did he mix it up with 1 Corinthians 15? Because that's the real good <laughs> chapter 15 that's really good. But this one really gives, I think it gives a... Um, a personal flavor to to Paul that you really don't get in other places that you can just get a feel for his desire to be in Rome, his desire to keep the gospel going. It's not just telling us um, the foundational theology of why he wants to get this going out there, but it shows his pastoral heart, which is which is just a lot of fun. That's why I'm real excited to go through this today because I think it relates to our world today in wonderful ways, just as part of Scripture. Also, when we come to this, it, it's fascinating to me because Paul writes this, and he wants to go to Rome, but he's never been there. Like this is a, he, he appeals to them, and he speaks to them, but there's no, it does not appear he had a relationship with them before. And so this just really shows how he found that oneness in Christ, that body of Christ that was coming, and he's writing to them specifically to show his travel plans to say, I'm coming, and I'm excited to be there. He, he explains explicitly what will happen when he does show up there and where he will be going. So this is wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. Just as by way of context, the very first, and I'll read the whole text in a moment, but the very first verse starts like this. We'll hear it today. This is the reason why, have, why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. 
in order to understand this is the reason, we need to know what was in yesterday's text. So what was there previously that Paul is building on as he moves into the text we've got for today? Yeah, good. Uh, thanks for pulling me back. Is um, So in chapter 15, verses 14 to 21, he explicitly talks about his purpose. And his purpose is to minister to the Gentiles. This goes back to... Um, you know, during his uh, missionary journeys where he goes into cities and, and eventually gets to the point where he's kind of sick of dealing with the other folks and he wants to deal with the Gentiles. And in Galatians, it talks about how they made kind of an agreement that this group would go for the Jewish people and Paul would be going for the Gentiles. And what his goal right now is to say, I'm going to keep traveling. Um, the reason why I haven't gone to Rome is because of all of the um, too busy planting churches in other places where they've never heard the gospel. In Rome, they've already heard the gospel. They have a, a solid foundation of a Christian congregation, and now he's going to places where they haven't heard it, which gives us a reason to believe that Spain had that same reality of why he, um, uh, why he wanted to go there, because there they had not heard the gospel, and, and it explains why he hasn't been to Rome yet, because they already knew about Jesus, and... Um, and they were being pre there's preaching and there's probably the sacraments and and uh, they were um, living in that body of Christ. So that's the reason why he hadn't been there yet. Right. It's interesting to to see Paul's reasoning in that. You know, he he says in the previous text, "I go and I preach where the gospel hasn't been preached before. I'm not the one that builds on another's foundation." And it's mm. it's just interesting to see that. I think it's an illustration of. Is, I think it's 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul talks about how some plant, some water, God gives the growth. And here you see how he, in fact, lived that out, that he was content to do what God had given him to do, to go to these various places to plant the gospel and then move on, even as he greatly longs to be with these Christians and to remain with them. And he does remain with some of them for longer than others. Some of them he does have to, he has to leave pretty quickly, either by, by force of persecution or just because, you know, he needs to go somewhere else to preach the gospel. But it's just, I don't know, it's, it's interesting to see that attitude of St. Paul toward that, his place within the ministry. I, I'm, I'm trying to reflect on that as a pastor, and, and sometimes... I think pastors want to do it all. I, I want to be the guy who plants and waters and, and does everything. And Paul says, well, this is my role, and I'm going to do that. And when other people come and do their role, that's great. God be praised. Yeah, I mean, this goes into vocation, you know, understanding of the callings that God gives to us from the simple, you know, these are the people in front of you, your 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 wife or your your husband and your children and the home that you own and the community in which you live and the church of which you serve or the church you attend, those kind of things. And, I mean, we're experiencing it, too, in our own church, is that we have a number of families that have come and, for various reasons, had to leave. And it's just, it's kind of, it's heartbreaking at times. Like, oh, this is really hard. And you can guarantee the way Paul was speaking about Rome is that he, boy, that, that he had to have had a difficult time when he'd leave these churches, you know, that he'd go visit them, and then he would start these churches, and him and Timothy and others, and and had to be very difficult to leave some of those saints, because you don't know what's going to happen. And for us as pastors, um, specifically, that, you know, we're called to preach and teach where we are, and if you know, as long as God has called us here, and if we get called away, we get called away. But we think we have to do it all, um, especially now, I think, with with everything going on, that there's a tendency to, people are isolated, and you think you have to do all the technology, you have to do all the all the calls, you have to do all the visits, you have to do everything. When he, you know, Paul's even making it a good example to us, is saying, this is what God called you to do, do it faithfully, and uh say, Lord, help me um, with other people to surround me. Let's jump into the text, Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. 
At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. That is the text for today, Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 33. So, Pastor Finner, we've glanced at verse 22 already. The reason that Paul's been hindered from coming to the Romans is due to his missionary activity in the East. He has not yet come to Rome, and the foundation's already been laid there, so that's not going to be his, his place there. But he still wants to come to them. And, and we've seen this earlier in the letter to the Romans, Paul's great desire to be with other Christians, even those, as you said at the beginning, that he's never met in person before. Yeah, um, there's a there's a number of of things here that uh, oh, there's a number of things that are going on with that. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of how to break that down, Pastor, I'm, because it's very clear in this text. There's a few points um, throughout that really bring home how he sees that to be when he actually does get there. So I'm trying to think here, Tim or Pastor, how to how to how to begin that discussion because there's a lot there. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah. So let me let me see if I can if I can help us get started into it. He's sure. he's brought this up earlier in the letter to the Romans in chapter one. He's told them, you know, I've wanted to come to you. I haven't been able to so far. Here he's really laying out the why and now his further intentions as to how that's going to happen. But he he brings out in both of those contexts that he. He knows that in his visit to them, there's going to be a mutual benefit. He knows that he will bring something to the Roman Christians and that he will also receive something from the Roman Christians. That there's, there's going to be a spiritual blessing that will be mutual when he comes to them. And okay. Yeah, maybe that's just—get us started with that. Does that help? Absolutely, absolutely. No, I just, um, I'm, I'm not thinking straight. I haven't had coffee or soda or anything yet. So, um, okay. So, you know, you look at this, is he speaks about how um, how he will be helped uh, with his journey there. And it's interesting, because um, when it speaks about that, and this would be in verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. And this is very interesting because I was reading uh, Michael, uh, Dr. Michael Middendorf's uh, commentary on this, and his contention was that when it says I um, that may be helped uh, on this journey, is that he would speak about that to be a financial um, help that would be there. And so uh, he speaks about how it's uh, um, when I come that it's almost like he's asking already, when I come, can you help me out? You know, can you give me a place to stay, give me some food, give me this, because I want to get to Spain, and so when I get there, I want you to physically help me. At the same time, later on in that verse, he talks about, I have enjoyed, you know, once I have enjoyed your company, meaning, um, um, you know, once I've enjoyed it, we kind of see that more like a, like a barbecue this time of year. You know, I go, oh, that was just a joyous time, and then to move forward and go home. But he's, uh, Dr. Mindenorf talks about all this in the Greek would be, I might be filled, you know, which is a wonderful um, thought about being filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, filled, filled with the love of God, Romans 5, um, those kind of language, that kind of language. And that really, I think, encompasses this, that, he wasn't just going there to say, "Okay, I need to get to Ro I need to get to Spain. So feed me, house me, 
you know, give me some water, this kind of stuff. But he was seeing this as I'm going to go there and there's going to be a, a, a mutual encouragement of the brotherhood that you've heard before. Um, mutually encourage Romans one twelve. he says, and to be filled, which is a Greek term for a divine passive, meaning you're receiving this from God. This clearly points us to faith. It points us to when we receive the Holy Spirit through the word of God and baptism, and also whenever we hear the word of God. Um, to be filled, meaning that there's going to be a mutual encouragement that we often miss, and we miss that now. I mean, for a lot of churches, at least in the state of Minnesota where I'm at, that they're just starting to open up with severe restrictions and starting to open up more. But part of that is, you know, when we get together with other Christian people, that we get filled, filled with the Word of God, but also filled to know that we are in the presence of other Christian people. Yeah, this is a—I'm glad you brought that up. It, it's, a, it's a theme that I think is, is very much there in St. Paul's epistles, that he desires to be with these congregations to whom he's writing. It first struck me when we were studying First and Second Thessalonians here on Sharper Iron last winter, I think it was in December when we went through those two letters. And, and in those letters, you see St. Paul's desire to be with the Thessalonians. He's, that's one of those churches that he had to leave quickly because of persecution. And so he knew that, I mean, he talks, he talks this way in other letters too, where he talks about being with a church in spirit, but there's always that longing to be with them in person. And I, I started to do this on a Sunday morning recently before our two worship services that we have now so that we can social distance. And I, I ran out of time and I haven't gotten back to it yet, but just, just to go through Paul and see how those two things end up reinforcing each other, that the knowledge that even when we are apart, we are together as Christians because we are one in Christ, that that knowledge always drives us toward wanting to be together physically. There's something about the physical gathering of Christians that that unity that we have in Christ spiritually is always driving us toward that physical gathering. And you see that in Paul. It was here at the beginning of, or is it the beginning of Romans? It's here in Romans 15. It's, it's in first, and I think second Thessalonians both. And I would love to look through the other letters of Paul for that same theme, just to see how those two things play on each other and build on each other. So that to give us comfort at both times, when when we are apart and when we are together. Yeah, you know that is a it's an interesting dynamic because a lot of times in the church, when people aren't able to be with um, us, we are. Well, I should. This is going to be a you know, personal confession here. Is that you before all of this, you kind of assume well they just don't want to be here, you know. Um, and there can be many circumstances of why they're not there, but there is that reality of longing to be with each other, and there's an instant pointing to, but we know that we're united in Christ kind of thing. And and that's a, a wonderful thing that, for all Romans, I've never caught this before, but, you know, verse 11 in chapter 1, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So Paul, Paul sees this not only as an opportunity to be fed, but also to feed. So I think about this. I remember we talking one time to somebody who was looking for a church, and they're like, oh, I'm looking for a church, and just looking for someone that's really going to feed me. And I remember these this particular couple or ones that had a lot of gifts to give, and I said, I also want you to consider how can you um, serve somebody else when you go to that church? You know, how can you feed somebody else? And remember that being kind of a eye-opening thing, one, for me to realize, oh, that is part of this. But the same token for them to think that the church isn't only a place I go um, to receive all this, but how can I strengthen others in this faith as well? So, um, yeah, I, 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 this is so relevant for us today, like you said, because um, there's a, a, a part of this where I have someone that I also had spoken to that they talk about whenever they went to church, and they're grieving this right now. I've had conversations with them that when I go to church, um, clearly we know it's, you know, because I, I always talk about this, you know, you receive the gifts of God, and this is what's happening, and da-da-da. 
And he said, one of the great joys of being there is I know that I'm surrounded by not like-minded people, but surrounded by people who are in the same faith, where I go to work all week, I even go to family gatherings, and I go to this and go to that. I don't know where people's faith is, but when I sit in church, I know that we're together in Christ. And so that's it's a component of we're together, but boy, it's very good when we are together thing, part of the Christian life that we often forget. Yeah, it really is. And that uh, you use the the term the mutual conversation and consolation of the brethren. That's a a term mm-hmm. from Luther. One of the the benefits, the joys of the church is this mutual consolation and and conversation of fellow Christians. And as you pointed out, it's it's more than just getting together for a barbecue, particularly in in Minnesota, Pastor Finner. I don't know what they call barbecue. Some some folks call barbecue like hamburgers and hot dogs, which that's not really barbecue if you ask a Texan. <laughs> so, in any case, it's more than getting together for grilled meat. <laughs> it's it's more than getting together for for a party. This this matter of enjoyment, as you said, it's it's a it's a bigger thing than that. It's being filled, being filled with. The word is, I think it's in Colossians 3, where, where Paul talks about this matter of, of being uh, filled with, with the Spirit in, in singing hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, oh, let the yeah. word dwell in you richly. That's, that's the language he uses. Dwell in you yeah. richly is this word. And that happens when we are together. And even if it, you know, you're talking about like, how do we, how do we as fellow Christians serve each other within the church, not just receive the gifts of God, which is, we're not downplaying that at all, but then those gifts of God flow from us to others. How does that happen? Well, sometimes it is just as simple as the presence there in worship. What a what a confession of faith it has been to me as a pastor when I've seen a member who has lost a, a dearly loved family member sometime that week, and where are they that Sunday? They are there in worship, receiving the gifts of God. And that, just that act of being there, while it may seem a small thing, is a huge confession of faith and strengthens me to see this matters to them. And, and, and it, it strengthens me, so it matters to me, too, that this faith actually does something. And just that, that very simple thing of being there in church is a part of that service to the body of Christ. Absolutely. You know, and I think about it, too, here, um, where one of the witnesses that we miss now, there's two things, so I want to talk about the two things here. Is First of all, is that when, um, you know, we have, we have older people in our church, and some are on walkers and in wheelchairs even, and one of the things that I think is one of the greatest things is that when you're worshiping, you are making a confession of faith. Um, just being there. Um, this is a bold statement um, at, at all time. I mean, this always was a bold statement, but you know, it's, I just see it more now, maybe because I'm older. But it's a bold statement to say I am here when I could be somewhere else. And so when you have all these older people and they're 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 just struggling to get up to the front for communion um, because we still come to the front and we don't kneel, but we all stand and and. I remind people when they come up, and I say, you know what, I'm more than happy to bring it to you in the pews, but I will say this, that I thank you for your witness to my kids. When you go up there and you say, this is so important that I'm going to go up there to receive the body and blood of Christ, and that's a strengthening thing. I've had so many young people tell me this. I've had you know parents and others and say, it just warms my heart every time I see those people go up there, and they can barely walk, but yet they will fight to get up there to receive the body and blood of Christ. I think that's part of this mutual encouragement that we see um, continuously in that, in, that, in that world. And the second, second part of that is that this is a call to prayer. So Paul is really praying for these, um, the Romans as he's saying these things. It's not just a, a vain hope, but he's praying that when he does go there, that he, there is mutual encouragement. And I think that's good for us, too, is when we go to church or we go to a gathering or that we pray for our uh, people in our church, that we pray for mutual encouragement of the fellow Christian people when we gather and pray that the Holy Spirit would guide us to do this, that God would bless our time so that the people we don't realize um, will be encouraged, that we all may be encouraged simply by the fact of being together around his word and a confession 
of our faith. Yeah, pray for the things which God desires us to have. It's a great practice, this mutual consolation of the brethren together as Christians. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU. We're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Tuesday's Rumination Law and Gospel will include both myself, Tom Baker, and Mark Smith in preparing you to sing the hymn of the week for the following Sunday, which always focuses on the salvation won for us by the life, death, and resurrection of both Jesus and through Him, our death and resurrection. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. In many ways, St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bel Air, Maryland is just like any other Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Church. They have worship services each Sunday and reach out to their community, but one thing they don't do is pay their electric bill. Hello, this is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. And if you want to hear what St. Matthew actually did to eliminate their electric bill, just visit interesttime.org. That's interesttime.org. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU. It's Tuesday, June 9th, and we are looking at Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 33, with Pastor Brady Finnern of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Pastor Finnern, prior to the break, we were talking about the spiritual encouragement that Paul is going to give and to receive when he makes his intended visit to Rome. And you brought out earlier that there's another side to that too. There's the matter of physical blessing that Paul intends and is asking from, from asking for from the Roman church. So this, this physical blessing that, that he intends, one of the ways Martin Franzman in his commentary pictures this as Paul intending Rome to become his base of operations for mission work toward the West, similar to the way that uh, Syrian Antioch had been used in the East. It, Paul's missionary journeys often start there, and he comes back there. It's like he, he refuels there before he goes out every time. Martin Franzman mm -hmm. suggests that that's what he intends for Rome. What is this matter of physical help that Paul intends and, and what's he what are his plans just on a very practical level um, I'm gonna have to once again I didn't have coffee this morning so <laughs> I'm trying to think are we going in the direction of Jerusalem or are we going in the direction well, of Spain or what's your go, let's go in the direction of Spain first because okay. Jerusalem is what's going to that's what he's going to do before he makes it to Rome. So let's let's talk about what are yeah. his westward plans before we say where is he going to go before he makes that westward trip. Gotcha, gotcha. So looking in relation to um, Rome, that like I, like I talked about before, that he um, had a desire to go somewhere where they had not heard the gospel. So he wants to go there, and he sees this to be the place where. Um, is a, the uh, technical term of implying, I need that help on the way. And from there, he'll be filled. From there, he will be um, blessed by these people. And I think, I think part of it is that sometimes we need to challenge the church 
to be that, to see themselves as that, as a, a, a base of operation for people in the pews, that when they go back out, that they are to be um, those people, the um, the service, the, the servants, the, the proclaimers, when they go out into their daily lives. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, he's seeing that, that that's what Rome is going to be, the place that's going to be um, the send-off, not only for him, but probably for many other Christians. Now, he, he mentions Spain as his intended goal, which mm-hmm. this this part is always, I, I don't know, it, I didn't know until today, and, and as we're talking, a ton about Romans 15 is so, but the mention of Spain has always stood out, because we don't think of Spain when it comes to the biblical world. That seems to be off the map to a certain degree, but that's where he intends to go, he says. Just historically speaking, how does this play out in Paul's life? What do we know about his travels? Did he ever make it to Spain? It's a question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, this is where we have to depend on tradition. Like you said, we don't think of Spain as as part of the um, places to go see in the whole, if you go to the Middle East or the Mediterranean, you know, you usually don't have Spain as part of that trip. But as far as what we understand in tradition um, from Clement, um, from Cyril of Jerusalem, that he they think he did make it there. What was his impact? That you know that would be fascinating to find out or to ask the Lord when he comes back or whatever it might be. But our understanding is, according to tradition, Scripture doesn't tell us. It kind of conveniently ends before we get revealed of any of those things. Um, but we do know he does he does get to Rome. I mean, this is in the Book of Acts that he does get to Rome, and so he's well on his way to get there. So, you know, as we look at Europe and other places in the um, that Paul would have been as the church continues to this day, uh, that we trust and hope that he did get there, and according to the, our, our forefathers, or early church fathers, that he did. Right. So, yeah, it, just in terms of the, the timeline, as you said, it's not it's not certain how this all works out. Paul's writing the letter to the Romans, probably from Corinth. We see that in chapter 16 based on some of the people that he mentions. Probably during his third missionary journey and in the mid-50s A.D. Just a a quick recap of the book of Acts. After that third missionary journey, he does get back to Jerusalem to deliver the offering, which we'll talk about in just a second. And it's there in Jerusalem that a stir comes about. We're going to talk, we're going to see how he asks for prayers because it he seems to be anticipating something like that already here. But it's this imprisonment of Paul's that happens after the, his third missionary journey in Jerusalem that does end up sending him to Rome. And he's in prison there for a while. That's actually where the book of Acts ends. And that's where, as you said, we have to rely on tradition. It's not there in Scripture as to, to what the timeline is precisely. Most, I think, would say he probably gets released from that imprisonment and at some point, maybe he does make it to Spain. There's evidence that from certain church fathers that that he did. Uh, again, Martin Franzman is a commentary I've been reading through this study of Romans because it's it's nice and concise. And mm. and Franzman says yes, there's evidence that he made it to Spain from church fathers. But when you look at the churches in Spain, it's hard to see from them any sort of tradition. Oh yeah, Paul was here. So mm. it, th- there's still that question, right? It's still, I mean, you know, wow, what a, what a thing for Paul. And this, I think, is what, I, what I'd like to, to focus on. What a thing for Paul to think about going all the way to Spain. This is the first century world. We don't usually think of those kinds of travels. I think in our, in our modern minds, we have a very low view of ancient history that, that somehow we're better than them because we've got more technology. I can hop on an airplane and get over there pretty quickly. But but Paul, man, Paul doesn't seem to be limited in in his travels. He's got he's got big ambitions when it comes to spreading the gospel throughout the Roman Empire, and that does go all the way to Spain. It's just, mm-hmm. it, at least in my mind, as, as we were talking at the very beginning, this is one of those places where you you put some color on the ancient world and the biblical world that otherwise might not be there. And we would think, oh, that was quaint old times. No, these are these are exciting living times. And, and the, the spread of the gospel is just a, a real thing that these Christians are working toward. And it's very, very inspiring to see. Well, and it is, because you think about 
the time period of which he's doing this, you know, this is within 20 years, uh, 20, 25 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think about all that changed within those 25, 30 years and how there's churches, you know, in all these little cities, all these big cities, excuse me, all these little churches in all these big cities. And, and he's traveling through and he's seen the fruit of his labor. I mean, clearly he's seen problems, you know, being stoned and <laughs> the threat of death and, and everything. And, um, but the journey that he had, he was able to experience and to be part of culture. He was, had to do theology on his feet um, and he had that goal to get all the way to Spain, which nowadays is what a train ride once when you just happen to be in Europe kind of thing. Um, but in those days, that would have been incredibly difficult to do. But he had the trust, and he saw God at work. He had, you know, been talked to by Jesus Himself, and there he was seeing all these living things happening. And um, and we see it too. We just don't see it as cl- probably as clearly, or we don't realize that whenever someone says Jesus is Lord, that this is, I mean, this is living history. This is God still at work today in something that's way beyond us and brings salvation and forgiveness and, and uh, new life to people still today. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful living history to realize how far God um, works among sinners like us. Those are Paul's westward intentions from Rome. He intends to go to Rome, again, to receive this, not only this spiritual help and mutual benefit, but also this physical help in being sped on his way toward a westward mission to Spain. But before that, here's where Paul turns his eyes back east. He knows that he's got to get back to Jerusalem first because there's this offering that he's going to take there. So, Pastor Finn, this is this offering for the saints in Jerusalem is something that occurs in multiple places in the New Testament. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so during this time, it appears that in Jerusalem there was a famine. And there is to me this is one of the um one of the great things that's been unearthed for me is this great collection that Paul gathered. We hear of it in 1 Corinthians 16. We hear of it in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Um, the motivations for it is in Galatians when Paul met with James, Cephas, and John and, and talked about, okay, you, you go with the Gentiles, we'll go with this, but we'll be united in serving the poor. So clearly they wanted to help the fellow brethren, the fellow church, as they were struggling. And so Paul collected the great, they called the great offering um, for the saints. And it sounds like, you know, he was pretty extensive in this. You know, he went to Macedonia, which was, um, according to what we hear in Second Corinthians 8 and 9, that they didn't really have the funds, but yet they gave, like, way beyond their means. Achaia, um, Macedonia, he pleads to the Corinthians in Second Corinthians 8 and 9 to give to this offering. And right now he's reminding people, hey, I'm going to go and do this. Um, part of that calling to say, I'm here to serve the poor. You know, Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Um, to serve the poor was a, is a major part of who we are as Christian people. And now um, that is his goal before he goes west, which shows you, first of all, that there's a lot of times in ministry in our Christian lives that we want to go that way, but we have to serve over here. And I think that's one of the great things in this, too, is that he's reminding people um, that it's not just about you and what your heart, heart's desire is, um, but there's responsibilities to do when God calls us to serve our neighbor. So he gathers this up, gives kind of a newsletter update, and this is what I'm going to be doing, and, and once again shows that the church is not just what's going on in Rome, but the church is, is worldwide, and how can we serve and serve others? And the, the matter of spiritual blessings and mer- material blessings are very much connected within, within the church. Verse, verse 27 is, is striking, perhaps, where Paul says, they were pleased to do it, that is, the, the saints in Macedonia and Achaia. They were pleased to give this offering, and indeed they owe it to them, which, which sounds pretty strong, <laughs> but it's not foreign to what Paul has already talked about, particularly chapter 13, Paul talks about, owe nothing to anyone other than the debt of love, so that Christians are, in fact, debtors to one another. We owe love to each other, and here is a very physical expression of that love that Christians owe to each other, 
And Paul puts it in the context of Jew and Gentile, which has been a big theme in his letter, particularly in chapters 9 through 11. He, he ties it together with the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, those promises first spoken to Israel, and now they're going to be of service to those same people in material blessings. Those two things are tied together. As we've, as we've already been saying, when Paul goes to Rome, there's going to be the sharing of spiritual blessings, and there's going to be the sharing of material blessings. And Paul's been working that out already in this, in this offering that's going to be taken to Jerusalem. So, I mean, we, this is an opportunity to, to talk a little bit about what is Christian stewardship. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a wonderful a reality because usually, I should say from a Minnesota perspective, is that we're very driven by guilt. So I feel bad, therefore I should go do something. And, and that might bring short-term, um, short-term effects, you know, joy, so forth. But it does not sustain people. You know, it's it's kind of a one or done, and two times later, like, okay, that's over. You know, I don't feel guilty anymore, therefore I won't do it. But Christian stewardship, especially in Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, it is very explicit that why do I excel in the grace of giving? It's because it is Christ who has emptied himself and has given me the greatest gift. So when we talk about, in verse 27, spiritual blessings, that they also be a service to them. The material blessings, speaking about the Macedonians, it shows us that Christian stewardship is really like this, is that Christ is the greatest giver of all time, that he showers upon us um, his, his forgiveness, his life, his salvation, gave up everything, em- literally emptied himself so that we would become rich. You know, Second Corinthians says this. And that is what our motivation comes from, is that we look to the cross again, we look to the empty tomb again, we see the work that he's done in the past, um, Pentecost and Trinity Sunday, and we once again see the glory of God. And from that, we give to others, as he called us to do, because we know that we receive the greatest gift, which is in Christ. And if he's the greatest giver of all time, and, and we say we follow him, then we cannot help but yet give to others as well which is why we often call stewardship the free and joyous activity of God's family in managing all of life resources for his purposes, is that it's free because the gift of salvation is free, and we are able to do it in freedom as well. Right. I, I appreciate you, you saying that this isn't something that is driven by guilt for the Christian. But it, I mean, that, that's a very important thing to say, even with that word, owe or or debt that is used in the scriptures as we as we've seen in the letter to the romans that often can be a a, it would be taken as a guilt-driven word but that's not how paul is using it and that's not how we should understand it as christians rather just to to take us back to where this section of the letter to the romans began in chapter 12 paul founds it not on guilt but actually he founds it on guilt taken away I appeal to you by the mercies of God, he says. That's, that's why we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, not out of guilt, but because of these free mercies of God given in Jesus Christ. And now all of this, which includes the sharing of material blessings, is, is a matter of our spiritual worship, as he says, or, or you might translate it reasonable service. This is simply what follows not because of guilt laid upon you, but because of guilt taken away by the mercies of God. And that, that really is central for our lives as Christians. Oh, I'm in. I'm into that. It is, uh, I think I've said this before on the show, is uh, um, during the Bible study, is the older that I get, the, 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 the more um, I realize the free gift of grace that is extended to me. And the older I get, the more I realize how little I deserve it. Right. Yeah. The, so you, the longer the longer we're Christians, the more we know we need the grace of God. Sorry. Keep going. No. Just just to and you see that at work. I mean, and this is why, um, uh, like you know, right now we're dealing with a lot in Minnesota, Minneapolis, and and uh, all cities really are. Well, the whole country is. Um, but one of the really amazing things is, is that you see the ministries that go on. Like the first Missouri Synod Church in the state of Minnesota is in Minneapolis, Trinity First, and after. Um, actually right in the middle of a lot of the riots, meaning like the, during the daytime, that Trinity First, right in the heart of the city, great 
school, a great church, right in the middle of all that, set everything up, got food, and they just said, hey, we need food. Boom, tons of food comes in. They're serving that community. And, and the amount of physical blessings that come because of the people who see the spiritual blessings of Christ, um, like you said, they do it purely because they want to serve their neighbor. It's happening right in downtown Minneapolis. And that's just a testament to how God works in our lives. Mm, yeah, and, and that how God works in our lives, this is the foundation that Paul is building on here. He, he concludes that section in verse 29, I, I know that that's what's going to happen, because he, he knows these Roman Christians. He even, he's said previously in this chapter, I'm satisfied you about you, my brothers. Right? He knows these Roman Christians, even from a distance. And so he knows that the grace of God is going to work in them to do these things, that that he's not going to leave um, unsatisfied. This is this is going to be God's work in them. And then as the this text concludes, you get this same language that showed up there at the beginning of the section in chapter 12 that I appeal to you. Paul Paul repeats that phrase. Now he, he appeals by a different wording, but it's the same foundation. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Oh, we're, we're under 10 minutes, but there's a lot to talk about here too, Pastor Finner. Yeah. This yeah. this a- appeal, it's Trinitarian for one for one thing. Yep. And now he's he's asking the Roman Christians to to pray for him, which is just a, a fantastic thing as well. Oh, and you know, this is another one of those things where I remember one time a member um, told me that you know he was struggling with something and. And he said, and I feel weird, but can you pray for me on this? And and he's like, I was like, absolutely. And he said, I feel weird asking, though, because I know there's much bigger issues in the world. And you're kind of like, uh, what? You know, <laughs> how do you see prayer? And, and when we, um, as Christians, we need to be able to understand that, that he, this is not a, a selfish thing. You know, God invites us to have prayers and supplications and thanksgivings to be given to God intercessions and that includes yourself and it not only is something that you will receive from this but you will be united again in the body of Christ so Paul asks this this is not necessarily a it's not a selfish thing in the sense of saying hey give me this give me this but it's an invitation for people to be united as Christian people when I was at seminary I remember Dr. Bruce Hartung spoke about a time in church where he was sitting there and then the pastor asked for prayer requests and a little old lady raised her hand and just said you know this is weird but i'm gonna um can you pray for me and and she said i've been diagnosed with this illness and dr hartung spoke about how that that brought a connectedness among the congregation that is not just some person from somewhere else but this is us you know that we are together in this and uh, there was a, 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 well, a mutual encouragement understanding that Paul's talking about is how, how we are connected in Christ. And this is one of the ways that we're able to bring each other to the feet of Christ. And, and that is a, a blessing that the Lord um, gives to us. So, yeah, I think, I think it's a wonderful understanding of not to be afraid to ask people to pray for you. Well, and I think it's, a, it's really a, a false humility that that doesn't ask for prayers for yourself don't don't pray for me there's more important things and i i don't mean to i'm not trying to cast dispersion on on that statement because i'm sure it is spoken sincerely but at the same time you you need to pray for yourself because you can't do everything (laughs) And, and if you if you think you don't need to pray for yourself have you made yourself into an idol? Is is that is that lurking behind it, perhaps, that, that oh. you think you've got it all together on your own? You need to pray for yourself. And and asking others to pray for you, I think, is a, is a part of that, I guess you said, mutual encouragement, that conversation, consolation of the brethren, lest we think, oh, I've got it all together. Don't pray for me. Pray for other, other things that are more important. Well, okay, let's not exclude those things. But yeah, pray for yourself. Ask others to pray for you because you you need it, and and to see Paul recognize that, I mean we we often put it. I know I do this. I put Paul on a pedestal. Like, oh, that that guy had it all together, perfect pastor, no no trouble at all. But he asked the saints to pray for him, and, and that's I mean that's an encouragement to me as as a pastor, and I think it should encourage all of us as Christians to to yeah 
ask others to pray for you and, and let that, you, it's hard to do, but, but let that unite you further in the body of Christ. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially now where, I mean, how many pastors in, uh, that are alive ever have served in a pandemic? And so, yeah, pray for me because every day I'm wondering, what am I doing? <laughs> so, that's right. That's right. You know, and so that's, a, that's a, just a good reminder for that. That's right. Yeah. They, they didn't teach us how to do this in <laughs> seminary with the whole pandemic pastoring. Exactly. <laughs> Pastor, exactly. Pastor and we've got just under three minutes left here on the morning. And, and verse 33 is a, is a bit of a benediction here, a blessing before he continues on into greetings. It seems there's a couple of places in, in Romans where, where it seems Paul had trouble ending his sermon. So he, he concludes it a couple times, it seems. 33 is one of them. And this is one of those spots where, again, maybe we're prone to just skip over words like this because we know them. We, we know the God of peace be with you. Yes, okay, great, amen. But but it's worth our time to, to appreciate those words. Use those words to, to wrap things up here for us this morning. Yeah, I'll, I'll start this way, is um, that there's been a number of times that people have told me that their favorite part of the worship service was the benediction, what we typically use as an ironic benediction. And the pessimistic side of me hears that, you know, because it's at the end of service, they can go home, football is going to be on, or whatever. And I was like, really? And and I was like, well, why is that? Because you think it's just they want to get home. And they said, you know, it's it, they don't say explicitly, but it's kind of like, uh, I know that I'm being blessed as I leave. And and that's um, the power behind this. One, because it's God's word. But I think the word peace has a huge significance to this. You know, that um, the Prince of Peace, you know, comes to this world. And he extends that peace, which is what we all need as a shalom. Because uh, we're so anxious. And we're So many anxieties, so many fears, so many of all those things. And when it says, and give you peace at the end, points us to Jesus after his resurrection. That what he says to his disciples is... Um, um, peace be with you. And that's what we get to extend um, to others. And, 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 and it's a joy when you receive that as well. So people receive it at the end of worship. Paul's doing it here for the Romans. And I specifically remember the simple, the simple reality of a blessing because what you say is what you give and what you receive. And so um, I had a call to a church and we had dinner with a family that would just, you know, just a nice time to be together. Probably that mutual encouragement of the brethren type of thing. And when I left, um, the, the, the man said to me, he said, the Lord be with you. And, and as I walked out, it was, just, it was just a very comforting thing because the focus of the night, the focus of our time in worship and prayer is not on myself, but the Lord sending us out and giving us his peace. So I think it's just a very profound verse that we should never overlook and realize what God gives. What he, what he says is what he gives, which is the peace that surpasses all understanding. Pastor Brady Finnern is the pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota, helping us this morning with Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 33. Pastor Finnern, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. God bless you. United together in Christ, spiritually, physically, we share in the gifts the gift of his peace. What he says is what he gives. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.